on this special episode of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey, recorded during the Ohio Ambulatory Surgery Association's annual conference in Columbus, Ohio, on September 27th and 28th, 2022, we discuss the conference, we meet with Kara Newberry from ASCA, speak to a few vendors, and interview association leadership. Welcome to the ASC Podcast with John Gailey, the longest-running podcast specifically focused on the freestanding ambulatory surgery industry. We would like to thank our sponsors, Surgical Information Systems, providing cutting-edge information solutions for surgery providers, Trivalence. Trivalence offers a comprehensive next-generation ASC solution that optimizes payment and supply chain performance, enabling actionable data insights, and Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies the nation's leading regulatory and accreditation compliance resource for ambulatory surgery centers. For more information about our sponsors, please visit our website at ASCPodcast.com. Welcome to episode 167 of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey for October 8th, 2022, recording from our studio in Spencerport, New York, and from the Ohio State Association's annual meeting in Columbus, Ohio, on September 27th and 28th, 2022. This is Sue Cronkite, Chief Researcher for the ASC Podcast with John Gailey and Senior Nurse Consultant for Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies. The ASC regulatory environment is extremely dynamic, and the material provided in this episode is based on information that is available as of the date of the recording. Joining me is John Gailey, the owner of Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies and recognized as one of the nation's leading experts in the ambulatory surgery industry. Mr. Gailey is the author of over 10 books on the ASC industry and a frequent industry speaker on regulatory accreditation and finance issues. Well, uh, so this was a great conference. You Mm -hmm. uh, were able to join me this time. You haven't been able to get to any of the conferences this year, if I remember right. Um, Not before that. We went to the New York State one right after that. Oh, that's true. And and, and you were there in uh, April at the New York State Association meeting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's hard to remember. We do so many of these conferences now. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it was great having you there. And we uh, had a lot of fun, as we always do. Ohio is a wonderful conference, one of the the conferences that we really enjoy going to. Mm -hmm. We have our old friends there that uh, we uh, meet up with every year. And uh, Mm -hmm. uh, this uh, conference certainly did not disappoint. Yeah, and they always give us a really good place to record. They give us our own little room there, and yeah. they're always very welcoming. And it's not like a little closet either. It's no. actually pretty big. <laughs> room. Uh, yeah. So we, we got a, a number of speeches, and we didn't get as uh, really any speakers uh, other than Karen Newbury, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Part of the reason for that is they had some pretty uh, well-known national uh, speakers mm-hmm. there that mm-hmm. uh, have certain restrictions that they can't appear on a podcast. But we did have a chance to interview uh, Kara as well as uh, two vendors that we found very interesting. Mm-hmm. 
And then we ended by, uh, with a discussion with uh, Heidi Moss, who talked about the association and things that are going on. Uh, I had two speeches. One was on credentialing and pri privileging providers. Sue, it's one of those things that you and I have become passionate about really recently, basically mm -hmm. because of some recent experiences that we've had. And I, I think the session was well received. Mm -hmm. um, it's a very challenging area, I think, and, and yeah. people really need to learn more about it. That's right. And, and I don't think the state associations or even ASCA is doing a lot of of uh, working in giving people a, a good understanding of the whole process mm -hmm. there. Uh, often they go into depth in certain areas. And this was the purpose behind this session was just to kind of get everybody back to basics and especially mm -hmm. those people that are not familiar with it. And I think when we see problems in either centers we're helping with or whatever, um, it usually is that overview that people miss. They might know very specific areas, yeah. but to know the timing and what has to be done first and how that whole process flows, people really struggle with sometimes. Ab absolutely. And it's just getting back to basics, mm -hmm, which, mm -hmm. you know, as I've been thinking about some of the things we talk about on the, uh, the podcast and with some of our conferences, is that I, I often feel like... Um, and I've always felt this way with conferences too. Sometimes you, you, it's like you're, you join in the middle of a conversation. Uh, you don't have the basics, mm -hmm. uh, to be able to, you know, stand, understand some of the most important things that are, are part of the process. And we just jump into uh, the more complex issues. So it was a great opportunity to do that. And I, I did also do a session on succession planning, which I've been doing at quite a number of the state association meetings. And obviously that always goes over very well as we talk about how we plan for, uh, succession, either an anticipated one coming up or one that uh, that might surprise us. And so this was a two-day conference. The first day uh, was two tracks. It was their infection control, which they do every year. Usually, I believe on the first day, they only do infection control. But this year, they included an infection control track and a business and administration mm -hmm. track on that first day. And then on the second day, uh, we had the clinical track and a business and administration track. Now, Sue, you and I had to bow out uh, in order to get to the New York State Association mm -hmm. Conference uh, about noon on uh, on the second day. So we didn't get to hear any of the other speeches, but it was uh, well attended. Uh, the vendors were extremely happy. I think the uh, one of the nice things they do, for, for those of you that are vendor listeners, Ohio has this really nice setup where you walk from, I mean, you literally have to walk by every single vendor in order mm -hmm. to get to uh, any of the sessions there. Uh, so it's very appealing to a vendor and, uh, and all the vendors were great. They, I think they enjoyed the interaction. Mm -hmm. And all the meals are served right out there where everybody is going right. to be out and around gathering um, together. Sue, you missed one of the highlights. Uh, you were uh, kind of tired. Uh, well, it, it, was, it was a long day. So you were mm -hmm. tired after the first night. And that's when we had the social event at one of the local um, hangout joints. Mm -hmm. And uh, I told you, I really had a great time uh, during that, that yeah. you know, let down yeah. your hair time. And uh, uh, they had some good food um, from uh, local uh, restaurants there. I didn't get to eat much of it because I spent so much time talking. I know this is shocking to you, but I spent so much time <laughs> talking to people that uh, they, they, they called out last call and I had to kind of quickly rush off and grab mm -hmm. as much food as I could because you know how close to death I am from starvation <laughs> here. So, Well, and you always say that those, those – that part of the conferences where everybody's socializing is where, you know, is really almost the most beneficial. Yeah. And truly here, I got a, an opportunity to speak to uh, uh, the two vendors, actually, that uh, that we interviewed for this. So, you know, we're going to we're going to interview two uh, vendors in the second portion here, uh, which was very uh, interesting and, and uh, had very in-depth conversations, which made it easier for me to to actually interview them. So so let's take a break. We'll come back and we'll uh, have those interviews. 
It's been a long day, and the surveyor's just left, and you are exhausted. And looking at the list of items that you have to address, you wonder, how can I deal with this and still take care of my patients? More importantly, you wonder, how can I ever keep up with all of the regulations, standards, and accreditation requirements? How can I always be prepared for a survey and reduce my stress levels? Well, that's what Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies does, day in, day out. We become your outsourced regulatory and accreditation resource. We can maintain your policy manual, develop your education programs, help out with fire and disaster drills, do your risk assessments, oversee your quality improvement activities, help run your quality improvement meetings and governing body meetings, and we can even prepare your monthly or quarterly financial statements and help you figure out where you are financially. We are a retainer-based service. We don't take ownership. We don't charge based on your revenue. We have one fixed monthly fee, and we can tailor your services to your exact needs. So whether you're looking for help getting over a survey, preparing for a survey, or looking for a long-term relationship to assist you with your ongoing regulatory and or financial needs, please give us a call at 585-594-1167 or email us at info at ahstrategies.com. That is info at ah-strategies.com or visit our website at ah-strategies.com. So, Sue, one of the highlights of our visit to Ohio was to actually uh, nail down Kara Newberry, who is the Director of Government Affairs and Regulatory Counsel for the Ambulatory Surgery Center Association. She actually lives in Columbus, Ohio, and uh, she speaks there, obviously, quite a bit. Uh, But we've never been able to corner her to actually do an interview, so it was great to sit down with her. She always uh, has a lot of great information to, to, uh, uh, to give to her audience, so let's listen to her interview now. So I'm here at the Ohio State Association meeting in September at the Hilton Polaris in Columbus, Ohio. And I'm here with Karen Newberry, my dear friend from uh, the ASC Association, who you had a very long trip in here this morning, didn't you, Kara? Yes, 20-minute drive. That's right. It's my favorite meeting to speak at, for sure. <laughs> and you always seem to take it over uh, Bill. Bill's never able to come out to Ohio. But uh, it's great to see you again, uh, Karen. Thank you for uh, spending some time. It's rare that we actually get to interview you. Usually it's Bill that – I don't know if you forced Bill I don't to know talk. if this is my – this might be my first it might be. podcast with you. Yeah. Isn't that interesting, given how long we've been together? So – as we were uh, preparing for this, I was trying to, you know, Bill did a, a nice uh, session in California, and his speech is actually going to be a part of our national uh, audience also. Um, and I, so I thought, you know, it might be nice to talk about things that perhaps are really on the tip of your tongue right now and, and, and some of the things going on, and we have an election coming up, perhaps some things about that. So let's start with the uh, 2023 payment rule. What's, what are the biggest takeaways that you see in that that's uh, pertinent, especially for not only Ohio listeners, but, you know, nationally? Absolutely. And I think this is a trend across uh, different payment systems as well. But really, there has been uh, a strong clamoring for and recognition by the provider community that things need to change with Medicare. Yeah, yeah. Um, so on the Medicare physician fee schedule side, uh, running into the same problems we've been facing where specialties are being hit. Um, mm-hmm. Same thing happens with ASC payments and that 
uh, all goes back to the fact that CMS is trying to maintain budget neutrality in these siloed payment systems, and it just doesn't work. We all know that volume is shifting outpatient. You just can't, um, you know, assume that we're going to cost contain, you know, in each siloed payment system. Uh, So there has been a big groundswell of interest and effort, uh, both with um, policymakers on the Hill, as well as regulators at CMS to try to get some bigger changes. Um, Obviously, none of that's going to come by January 1st when the final rule is implemented. Mm -hmm. So what we're looking at is, you know, a modest update, nowhere near what everybody's facing um, inflation-wise, correct? Um, It should be a slightly higher than what was proposed, which was 2.7% because the inpatient rule comes out before ours, and that was a slightly higher update. So... I'm optimistic it's, it'll be a little better, not significantly though. I don't want to get listeners' hopes up. Yeah. Um, so that um, they not, use a more updated uh, they, number as correct. They get closer uh, to the absolutely. The yeah. Um, and then you know, not a lot to report on the procedure side. Disappointed that one. CMS only added one code. Yeah. It's you know uh, ENT code that we don't even really do yeah, that much of in of our setting, yeah. right? So that was a disappointment. There is this interesting complexity adjustment change. So in the hospital outpatient department setting, uh, those facilities are um, paid more for uh, a code combination that includes add-ons, which Mm -hmm. uh, if your listeners don't know, an add-on code is typically not separately reimbursed. Mm -hmm. Um, But CMS is looking at those code combinations and saying when you add this you know, add on code, uh, mm-hmm. which is not typically reimbursed, it does increase the complexity and the cost of the procedure. So we're going to give you more money. So CMS has proposed these new uh, C codes, not to be confused with any of the C codes that are already on right, our right, payable right. list, but um, these new C codes um, that would account for those code combinations. So that's helpful for some um, procedures. We're looking to hopefully expand that in future years if we get this um, policy finalized. But that was one, you know, I guess positive uh, indication that CMS recognizes that we can shift more volume to the ASC. And you've had some kind of major wins with regard to ASC quality reporting, too. I, well, I don't know if I call them major, but anyway, <laughs> some wins. And, and why don't you talk a little bit about that for our listeners, too? Sure. And just so the listeners know, we have a great working relationship mm-hmm. with the ASC um, quality reporting program staff at CMS and the contract staff um, that they work with. And we, so we've been trying to work with them. Yeah. I mean, I've been with ASCA for 11 years. We've been trying to work with them for years. We have a monthly call, you know, trying to educate them mm-hmm. on, you know, how ASCs are different, you know, how some of the um, quality reporting measures that they impose upon us can be burdensome. So ASC 11 is the cataract measure that you may be referring to um, as a win. Um, And it is, you know, getting that suspend that mandatory um, implementation suspended. But CMS, you know, the rationale that they give in the rule is because of the pandemic. And, you know, our argument is that the measure is not a facility measure. It should have never been added to our program and that it should be stripped away um, regardless of, you know, if we're in a pandemic or not in a pandemic yeah. anymore or wherever we are with COVID, um, you know, today in September of 2022. But that shouldn't have anything to do with this particular measure. Um, mm-hmm. And that's what we put on our comment letter. Do you think it's going to come back? I mean, if you were to predict anything? 
I think that putting you on the spot. Sorry. <laughs> uh, so it, it was it was originally not supposed to go into effect until 2025 anyway. Yeah, so that's yeah. another reason that the pu- that the COVID rationale was puzzling. Yeah. Uh, I think that we will be able to kick the can down the road enough, and eventually um, the issue will go away. That's my that's my uh, hope, and that is what I do think will happen. And OAS caps. OAS CAPS is uh, full steam ahead. Of course, we get an extra year to implement than the hospital outpatient departments do. And so it will become a a mandate. It will become required for ASCs in 2025. Mm -hmm. Uh, We are trying to get everybody up and running uh, to participate in the voluntary period by by 2024. ASCA is uh, actually working with um, Press Ganey. So yeah. you're, you're kind of hearing this earlier than some. We haven't even officially rolled out our partnership yet, but we yeah. were able to secure a, an extremely great rate oh, on the survey um, for uh, ASCA members. And uh, so we are working with them. There are 17 now, I think, approved vendors. Mm-hmm. Um, so if folks want to call me, I'm happy to tell you some of the other ones that we uh, talk to who we think also offer a very competitive and, and good product. Really, for us, it was more the fact that most of the vendors specialize in one mode right. of the survey, and we wanted to go with someone that offered all of the modes. Right. Meaning uh, telephone calls, web-based, and things Snail that mail. Snail mail, right? Correct. Don't even know what to call that anymore. I, I know. For those younger listeners, you probably don't even know what I'm yeah, right. referring to as snail mail. I'm dating myself, but yeah. uh, through through the postal service. <laughs> yeah. Well, and so what do you see your advice with regard to uh, preparing for OAS caps? Like when? I think there's a lot of people who are uh, earlier adopters, and then yeah. there are some who have been hesitant or are going to wait um, because of cost reasons, which we completely understand. Yeah, it's not cheap. If you can do it, uh, our mm-hmm. recommendation is to at least get up and running by that 2024 mm-hmm. um, period. Uh, so you could talk to vendors and secure a contract in mm-hmm. 2023 and then get up and running in 2024, primarily because uh, even the best and most efficient ASCs are finding that they are learning something from this survey, or even yeah. if they don't think it's the most important information, you want to make sure that you are scoring well on it. Right. And right. so you might find out that you're the person who greets people at your yeah. facility is is turning off the you know patients. And so just a little bit of training and education on that might be able to flip your scores and get them a little better. Um, so it is, you know, a patient experience survey. It is mm-hmm. slightly different as we know from a patient satisfaction yeah. um, survey. So uh, yeah, I think if, if you can get up and running by 2024, you know, the questions are publicly available. Right. So you could even, if you wanted to, um, start asking the questions of your patients now to see what kind of answers that they provide right. you. Um, but of course, you will have to work with a third-party vendor uh, when it becomes mandatory uh, to avoid any bias. Yeah. And uh, to your point, a lot of the education in this area talks about how you change the words that you use when you're talking to the patient, either at the reception area or the nurses, et cetera, as they're going through the experience. And there's a lot of history, actually, with hospitals and how their education programs have been out there. Changed, yeah. And I'm sure we're going to be talking about that on the podcast More, as time before, goes yeah. on. Uh, and last, and I know you have to run because you're about to do this speech. Just quickly, uh, what do you think the impact of this uh, upcoming election is going to be? Absolutely. So as we all know, elections lately have been maybe uh, more interesting and potentially more volatile than in in some of our lifetimes. You know, I live in Ohio here. We have a Mm -hmm. very competitive and uh, Senate race going on. Ask a 
We really try to do a good job of having uh, bipartisan support mm-hmm. for our legislation and for our efforts on the Hill so that changes in, you know, there's the expectation that the House is probably going to flip. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Senate, most people now are thinking that it might stay yeah. um, under Democratic control. Of course, we have the president for another uh, two years. So I think that... Um, we try to do a good job of uh, balancing our supporters, Republicans and Democrats, so that we are, you know, in a good position regardless of mm-hmm. who leads. I will say if it's a divided, you know, if House controls one, Senate controls another, it becomes there's more gridlock. It's right. a lot harder right. to get legislation enacted. Uh, we have great uh, co-sponsors on our bill, though. Actually, uh, Congressman Wenstrup from Ohio, if our legislation flips, mm-hmm. he will be the one you know, directly introducing the legislation. He's a Republican here. And uh, we have a, our Democratic co-sponsor on the House side is John Larson from Connecticut. On the Senate side, we have Blumenthal from Connecticut as well. Mm-hmm. And then Senator Cassidy from Louisiana, who uh, Wenstrup and Cassidy are both physicians, so they yeah. really get our issues. And so as different packages are moving, um, you'll see a year, you've probably been hearing about year-end um, discussions, year-end packages. As those things move, we try to get some of our provisions included in that. Mm-hmm. I don't think, I think it's going to be, we call it a skinny, you know, yeah, year. Yeah. I don't think there's going to be a lot of room for that um, at the end of this session, but we are gearing up, ready to go. We hope to have the Outpatient Surgery Quality and Access Act. That's ASCA, um, ASCA uh, supported legislation introduced hopefully by February or March. Okay. Well, and again, you you just demonstrated the bipartisan support for the types of legislation that we're looking for. Uh, any major CMS changes you expect, Charlotte? I mean, we just got the new updated interpretive guidelines in June. Hopefully everybody knows about that, and we did have an episode on it. So uh, uh, anything else coming down the pike? No, I would, just, I would just say, you know, as I indicated, we do have open communication with survey and certification, quality reporting, and payment policy staff, although they're not quite as uh, willing to listen to us at all times. But yeah. if anyone has any uh, thing that they find in the, you know, conditions for coverage that they find overly burdensome, you know, please feel free to reach out to us. That's how we've gotten mm-hmm. some of the changes made in the past as we heard that it was a problem from those in the ASC community. And then we went to CMS and worked with them to get some positive uh, uh, changes. And Kara, I, I just want to say you are always so responsive to us. I, I know I pester you quite a bit every once, every once in a while on issues, but you are responsive to all the ASC uh, ASCA members. And uh, I just want to thank you on behalf of the industry for the wonderful work you've done over time. It's been very uh, great to work with you and knowing that you've got the ear of the people in, in Washington. Thank you so much. Okay. Thanks so much, John. And next, we talked to Mark from Vendor, who talked to us about vendor credentialing services. We had actually met them last year, Sue, remember, at the last conference. And we're very impressed with this company. It's a new and up-and-coming company that does uh, vendor credentialing services. And uh, we think they have a great product. A number of our clients have been using them recently. So uh, let's listen to this uh, interview about the vendor credentialing process and, and why it might be worthwhile in your organization. So I'm here with Mark from Vendor. Now, Mark, you and I met last year during the Ohio Conference. We're at the Ohio Conference in uh, at the Polaris Hilton in um, Columbus, Ohio. And uh, I met you last year, and the company was just starting up at that point. And in the meantime, you know, I, I've seen a number of our clients have been signing up for your service. You're really growing very quickly. 
uh, you know, in this space. You know, John, thank you very much. I, I really appreciate the opportunity to come on and speak with you. It was last year. It's how yeah. fast the time goes. Crazy. Isn't that amazing? It's crazy. But we're very blessed, uh, very excited at the growth that vendors had. Uh, we were a small company that really listened to our, our customers, our facilities, our partners. Right. And what we decided to do is to grow at a, at a, at a rate where we could, we could be nimble. Um, yeah. Vendors, one of those companies where we're able to offset and we're able to learn from our customers and, and what they need and then deliver upon that. And right. There's no better time than right now with obviously with the, the pandemic uh, as we start to kind of hopefully move past that into uh, you know a, a new future. Well, you know, so it brings up the topic right now of, uh, you know, the value of vendor credentialing. You and I talked as we were preparing for this. So I I literally just grabbed you as I was walking by. God, I think this would be a very good thing to talk about. Vendor credentialing, the whole, uh, uh, the information that we have to gather for all of our patients, you know, what's going on with NHSN, for example, and uh, COVID-19 vaccinations. So let's start by that simple question. Why should our organizations, why should all these ASCs basically sign up for, you know, one of these vendor credentialing platforms? And there's a number of them out there in addition Correct. to yours. So let's just talk about in general, you know, the, the value of vendor credentialing in your organization. Sure. That's a great question. And, and you brought up a great point, John. Whether it's vendor or one of the other uh, platforms on the market, uh, it's, it's very important because at the end of the day, the individuals that are interacting with that patient, they may be staff which mm-hmm. are credentialed. They may be physicians and providers, which are credentialed. The one that usually falls through the cracks is the vendors, okay? Right. And in a lot of facilities, there could be several vendors on scene interacting patient forward, uh, um, you know, vendors that are that are discussing and having topics or in the room. So what we found is, is this is that, that kind of population that's overlooked, um, right. which puts the facilities at risk. You know, all these, these uh, mandates and regulations are in place for what? To protect patients. Mm-hmm. So if you're not you know, worrying about all the different facets uh, that are interacting with that patient, you're missing out. So what we found is that really in the kind of the height of uh, uh, COVID, that there was an, an, an opportunity there. There was an unmet need, specifically mm-hmm. in and around ambulatory surgery centers. So that's really where vendor kind of cra- came from. But, you know, to back up to answer your question, you know, what we wanted to do is, is vendor credentialing makes, ensures that the interaction between patient, staff, provider, and uh, I.e. mainly the vendor is the safest and best uh, interaction that, that, that can be provided. Okay, I think we've established, or we're certainly going to establish a little bit more in, in, a, in a few minutes, the importance of vendor credentialing. Mm-hmm. What's the alternative out there? You know, if if you're, and and many organizations are doing this right now. What sure. are the pitfalls of not? Uh, signing up for this, you know, and what are you going to have to do? If you're going to have sure. to do this manually, what are you going to have to do? It's going to be a tall task. And yeah. a lot of the facilities that we work with, when we come to these kind of meetings, we, we talk to a lot of individuals. Uh, oftentimes we find that specifically in the surgery center um, arena, um, mm-hmm. that it's usually somebody within their staff that has to do it. Okay. And that's if they're doing it at all. Right. A lot Gathering of Gathering all that information. Absolutely. Ex- exactly. A lot of facilities just don't have the, the means to, to properly collect and quantify and catalog that information, or they have somebody that does it, which it's, it's a full-time job in and of yeah. itself. Um, so we know that obviously with, with the way healthcare is going, a lot of people are having to do more with less. So having a vendor credential of any sign, you know, takes that, some of that, that workload off those individuals, because as you know, John, these individuals, it's not their only task. Yeah. They're, a lot of times they're doing vendor credentialing, they're doing materials, they're doing scrubbing, you know, they, they may be radiology tech. We see it all across the board. It's usually somebody that, that wants to kind of add it onto their plate. And it can be a lot because at the end of the day, a lot of these facilities are are seeing multitude of reps. So they're having to collect those COVID cards. They're having to collect the TB, the flu, any HIPAA information. So it becomes a very 
tedious and painstaking uh, activity to try to get all that information. And you brought up a great point. What if you don't do it? Well, uh, you know, you're there's there's certain obviously legal uh, there's federal mandates and things like that but you put yourself at risk it's a very stressful time if and when mm -hmm. you have a survey um, so you know it's it, having something in place to take some of that stress off streamline things allow you to focus more on the patient you know is what uh, the sites are, are intended to do yeah so you know Sue you and I of course work on the, the regulatory side of this mm -hmm. and w I think what we have to emphasize here is that you can't just let anybody into the organization of course mm -hmm. um, you have to to uh, uh, have them uh, at least have information about their health, especially if they're going to touch a patient. I, well, they shouldn't be touching a patient if they're a vendor. Sure. But if they are, you know, have face-to-face uh, -face contact with the patient, mm -hmm. if they're going to be in the operating room at the time of the of mm -hmm. the yeah. uh, the procedure. The regulations require you to, to have a policy with regard to uh, any visitors in your avenue organization. And mm -hmm. there's a presumption that, you know, if, if, if a patient is going to have direct contact, then there is some vetting that occurs of that individual's health record. Uh, as well as uh, that individual is going to have to sign off on, you know, privacy. They're not going to disclose any information about the patients they run into. Uh, they have to be aware at least of a certain degree of the policies and procedures and agree to, um, to abide by those policies uh, in that organization. Absolutely. Um, and, of course, at all times we should know who is there. What's the name? What company do they work for? And what is their purpose for being there? Um, so I, I mean, so to, you know, to help you answer that question, that's really what we're we're getting to. That that's how important it is uh, to do this. And I, I fear that there are many organizations out there that don't even realize that responsibility or mm -hmm. completely realize that that opportunity. Correct. Now, um, I do believe that we had a certain event occur in 2020. I'm trying to remember what it was. It was a, a pandemic. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I almost <laughs> forgot. Yeah. That's right. Uh, which kind of changed the the whole. Uh, situation here because now there's this new requirement and you know very you know we we've always kind of had this issue over uh, the flu vaccine and you know mm, you're true. allowed not to you know take it some states actually require you to take it if you don't you have to wear a mask that's mm -hmm. kind of all irrelevant now but you know uh, CMS chose to do to take a very radical step which requires all of the employees to be um, you know vaccinated but there's it's an, been tricky too because yeah. people don't know how much the surgery center can actually request of a vendor when mm -hmm. they do it, you know, when they're coming in and, and it's just been a really difficult to navigate. So. Where, and, Certainly. And where is that limit? And of course, mm -hmm. now we know that NHSN requires you to keep track of, you know, vaccination mm -hmm. status doesn't require you, mm -hmm. you know, they don't have the authority to be able to do that. But on a quarterly basis, we have to report to NHSN the vaccination status of all of our employees, all of our credential providers, and all of our vendors. That's right, and that's where this vendor credentialing really has come into the uh, into the market. You told me this story, and it happens to be a mutual client of ours. Correct. But tell me, tell the story of what happened, uh, um, you know, with uh, one of the organizations. Yeah. So uh, you know, our company vendor is is kind of more of a boutique niche. Uh, um, platform. Uh, we were approached recently uh, that several months ago and we were we inquired that, hey, we'd like to be able to look back at any one given week and in any given month and be able to query all the reps that we've seen in that week and then additionally provide the, the COVID vaccination cards for said reps. We didn't have that built into our we didn't Sorry. have that built into our platform. So what we did is we actually worked with our development team and we were able to provide a, a resource where, where now it's a one-click uh, button where you can set in the dates to from, click, and then boom, five minutes later, it receives in your email. Trying to, one, once again, trying to, trying to make things easy, quick, yeah. uh, and, and, and really pain-free. Pain 
Well, and I think that point I really want to make here too is think about how complicated that's going to be mm-hmm. if you are maintaining you as the, the surgery center is maintaining yeah. that record yourself. I mean, I know myself, every time I walk into one of our clients, I hand my card. I'm getting tired of doing that. I think I'm going to sign up for vendor shortly so that uh, so I don't have to do that all the time. But the point being is that it's a tough job both for the vendors to keep you know that information online as well as the surgery center to make sure they have access to it. And and uh, you know obviously you have competitors and those organizations all do a great job. It's important. So I mean my point is make sure you're asking these questions of uh, of all of the uh, you know the potential uh, organizations that you look for and your point is very well taken too by the way your service is free it's it's free you you charge you you make your money off of the vendors themselves who are signing up for this platform and i believe that's the way most of the the not all of them but i know some of the other vendor companies work the same way uh, if they do then there's some equipment involved i know sometimes correct. that's the charge but yeah correct this we isn't want- an expensive thing for the surgery center that's no. the really good news no you're 100% right whether it's with vendor or one of the other companies, this is a, a small investment mm-hmm. into protecting the patient, the facility on, on so many levels. So having something in place, uh, you know, even if it's somebody on your staff, I'm not, we're not saying, you know, to not do that. But what we're saying is there may be more efficient ways mm-hmm. to do it. Yeah. And yeah. so to talk to, you know, search out one of these companies um, and, uh, and see if it's, it's a good fit for your organization. Sounds like a small time investment, too, which is Really important because I know sometimes it's very complicated to get started on any new programs, but right. it sounds like this kind of a thing is, is just you kind of download an app or, or you yeah. sign up and you know, it's the, done. And yeah, you demonstrated to, to us how quick it is to get involved. Yeah. But that, that brings up another important point is that the gatekeeper sure. for the vendors coming in is almost always – the individuals, it's not usually the administrators that, that that's Somebody stopping the vendors from coming in. No. It's going to be the receptionist. It's and going to be an individual who probably doesn't have a lot of training, doesn't, doesn't even necessarily know what those requirements are. They follow a particular, you know, protocol and, and, and that there might be a high turnover in that position. So, uh, and then you might find yourself just forgetting the importance of, you know, uh, of vetting all of those vendors before they come in. Yes, and, and I won't name names, uh, <laughs> but uh, we were working with a re- uh, facility recently, and the person that was in charge of credentialing at the facility wasn't even aware that that was one of her responsibilities. For um, vendor credentialing. For vendor credentialing. Yeah, yeah. Um, they had a book up front that the pages went in. Nobody knew where they uh, when, it, when the page was full, where the page went. Yeah. The uh, high-level C-suite, you know, um, upper leadership – assumed that it was being done and taken care of. And mm-hmm. I think there was a disconnect. And this is where, to answer your question, that, you know, everybody, nobody wants to do anything purposely to, yeah. to mm-hmm. put a patient's health at risk or staff members at risk. Because at the end of the day, at least protect them as well, right? Mm-hmm. Some type of credentialing. We know that these uh, representatives, vendors, they're traveling to many different facilities. Mm-hmm. So we want to ensure that we can trace, we can track, we can provide the best care for, for those working to be able to take care mm-hmm. of future patients. Um, so it's important to have something in place and, uh, and, and make sure that it's, 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 it's clearly defined on what that looks like at every facility. Yeah. And, and it's a little bit different. So we understand that. Uh, you brought up a great question, uh, point, Sue, in, in how ease and efficiency. You know, that I think it doesn't matter what program it is, whatever you're implementing, whatever goal you're trying to achieve at a facility, making it easy is the key. And yeah. I can't speak for all the other companies, but, you know, I think that's what, what we kind of focused on is, is making sure that it's only going to be used and it's only going to be as good as, as long as it's um, implemented. So, you know, to any facility out there, whether it's our company or a different company, 
company, ensuring that the um, uh, the representatives are adhering to it is the key. Mm -hmm. uh, and then when we start talking about uh, John to your point, a lot of these facilities, it's you know, there's one single point of entry for a lot of surgery centers, whereas hospitals, yeah. you can enter in from the loading dock, you can come all, the, the vendors will come in from any which yeah. way. So um, it's a little different, uh, you know, uh, platform and a little different resource to ensure that that uh, that all those mandates are being met. Yeah. Just something came to mind as you were speaking. I think what sometimes happens too is systems break down. You, you might have trained that receptionist and how to you know, vet vendors before they come in. Mm -hmm. But if you're not constantly monitoring to make sure it's being done, even somebody that's been trained on how to do it might forget or stop, you know, being as vigilant about it as they, they have been in the past. Correct. So regardless of whether you use a vendor credentialing organization uh, or do it yourself, you've got to make sure that somebody is constantly watching to make sure that process is working there mm -hmm. and Correct. that you're vetting all of those vendors before they come in. And that you, you know, this would be a QI study as I'm thinking about this too, Sue, is, you know, checking to make sure that 100% of the vendors that come through are vetted in some way. Because I can see them sneaking in the back door. I can see, yeah, I can imagine all the different ways you know, that people might come through. Or, I mean, I've seen it happen with us. I'll walk into a place and somebody grabs me before I've even gone through the check-in process. I don't sure. even fill out the form. Of course, I immediately cite them about you know failing to follow their own policy. But right, right, absolutely. You know, and I think you you brought up a good point. A lot of this, you know, COVID card, it's pretty universal, mm -hmm. right? We all know what a COVID card looks like, but a lot of these other. HIPAA, aseptic, bloodborne, whatever it may be, they come across in a completely different format. Yeah, so point. we have a clinical team uh, that's made up of several uh, nursing staff members from different uh, uh, facilities around the state and the Midwest for that matter. Um, and their job is to kind of figure out and know what they're looking at. I yeah. think that it takes time. It's certainly, you know, it'd be difficult for any staff member to kind of once again, COVID card, they can see the date, everything's, mm -hmm. you know, they know mm -hmm. where to look, where they're, where to put their eyes. But when we start seeing all these different formats and different, you know, looks to a, mm -hmm. a document, a form, a, uh, it, it gets to be a challenge for anybody. Yeah. Yeah. And knowing when it expires, how long something's good for. and you know. Correct. Yeah. So I, I think we've shown the value of vendor credentialing, uh, the, the importance of handing a process, whether you're using an outside company or doing it internally, it's important that some, some mechanism be in place to track this. And let's also emphasize the importance of uh, recognizing that from a, a, an NHSN reporting standpoint, you've got to be able to keep records of this. So the best way to do that is not to create your own system, but actually use some outside company. Yeah, the, the systems, you know, computer, uh, uh, server, mainframe, it doesn't sleep. It's always yeah. active. You can always reference back much farther. Right. You don't have to worry about missing something, losing something, because it's all documented, encrypted. Right. So it's always at your disposal. Mark, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time to, uh, to talk with us. John, Sue, I really appreciate the opportunity, and uh, I look forward to seeing you next year as well. Sounds right. good. Take care now. Thanks. One of the more interesting um, discussions we had during the conference with one of the vendors and then later during the uh, social event uh, later in that evening was with a new company called Sidecar, which is a insurance company with a different twist. And we uh, had an opportunity to actually interview Emily Porter. Uh, she was not with us during the, the conference, but we interviewed her shortly thereafter uh, based upon some conversations we had. But this insurance company, Sidecar, has a very different take on providing insurance to employees. Let's listen. So I'm here at the Ohio State Association meeting in September 2020. 
two. And we're actually recording after the uh, the conference because I, I was not able to engage with uh, Sidecar while I was there. But I have this opportunity to, to meet with Emily Porter, who is the Vice President of Government Affairs for Sidecar. And during the conference, I met up with her uh, colleagues uh, who had a booth right down the aisle from uh, from our booth at Ambitory Healthcare Strategies. And I really enjoyed their message. I really enjoyed learning more about this organization and uh, fortunately, Emily agreed to uh, to an interview here to talk a little bit about uh, Sidecar and what makes them unique. So let's start with what is Sidecar, Emily? Sure. Um, well, thank you very much for having me. Um, Sidecar Health is a modern common sense approach to major medical health insurance. So Sidecar Health is a newer company. It started about four years ago. We took our first customer on in 2019. So we've been operating um, and providing insurance for about three years now, um, but we have two major medical plans in Ohio. And so that's where um, that's where we've really been able to gain a lot of our experience in order to launch those plans. But, but why are we different? So we give consumers the opportunity to learn what things cost in the healthcare system and allow them the opportunity to shop. And we do that by providing them transparency in cash pay pricing. I don't know if you've ever had to purchase anything with cash in the healthcare system, but it traditionally can be about 30% less than commercially negotiated rates. So we give all of the information. It sort of looks like an Uber app um, or on the website so that they can see what providers are charging. We do not negotiate with providers. So the providers can choose their pricing. It is very provider and patient-led. Providers can choose their pricing and then patients have the opportunity or rather they are empowered to be able to make decisions that are more cost-effective for them we tell them what things should cost. We have a number of actuaries and we've done a lot of research into what the cash pay pricing should be for any particular service in the healthcare system. There's about 170,000 different things that you can do. And so we tell the consumer what things cost. We tell them how much they have in order to purchase what they need. And they then get to make the decision that is best for them. So we try to keep the relationship between the patient and their doctor. We just give them the information so that they can shop smartly in a cost-effective way. And if they do so, um, then we give them money back. So if they're paying for a service, if they have a service that might cost, let's say $170, but they might find it for $150, then we will have we would give them the opportunity to have that difference. We might give them $20 back. But they know first and foremost how much they have. The same way you think about your own family budget, you know how much you have to spend on a particular item. And so, and we give them a visa card so they can purchase anything they might need with that visa card. And that visa card connects to the sidecar health claims account. So we sort of like to joke, you you have a a health insurance company in your pocket, if you will. But but giving consumers the transparency in costs and in pricing lets them take control so that they can decide what is best for them, but also really understand pricing. I think, John, you'd probably agree, not a lot of people know what things cost in the healthcare system. And that's where the disconnect is. and And the biggest challenge that we've always had in healthcare is that 
um, with the employees, the, the patients have never had really the incentive to try to find the most cost-effective care. And exactly. that I think was what is really exciting about your model here. I think the second part, so so I think we're starting with what are the benefits to the patient or and, and employee, since yeah. most of these are employee groups. And certainly what you've just described, they can choose anybody. You don't negotiate the rates, but you do provide them with information about what the rates are so that the responsibility of the patient is to determine that quality slash price metric. Exactly. Yep. That's exactly right. And the physicians are empowered to make the clinical decisions that they need. They get paid upfront. So for them, it's, it's a nice benefit as well. They don't have the claims administration that they would perhaps in a sort of a, a typical larger insurer. Um, and then they can give Sidecar Health customers a pre-bill or a good faith estimate. Um, and then and then the consumer can take that back sometimes to us if it's something more major. And then we can tell them what things should cost or maybe how they might want to shop. But as you can appreciate, there's a lot of savvy consumers yeah. who understand exactly how to shop as soon as you give them the information they need. And that's just not something that a company had contemplated prior to Sidecar Health. And I think one thing that can be confusing, so we we should revisit this, is is the the fact that you could actually almost make money uh, by doing this care. In other yes. words, as part of your insurance, you're paying for you know you or your employer or a combination thereof are paying for this insurance. But if you and Sidecar gives you a certain, I guess, allowance is the term I would use to use a, yeah. but but they're basically allowing a certain amount of money for a particular procedure, visit, uh, medication, et cetera. And then Correct. the employee is empowered, employee slash patient is empowered to go back and find the best deal. And if they get a lower price, then they get money back. That's exactly right. Yeah, think about it. Um, so we we have calculated the average geographic cash rate charge. So it, it is not going to necessarily cover every single provider, but for those providers like many ambulatory surgical centers who are perhaps costing less than say a hospital or other outpatient center, they might, the consumer might be able to, to utilize those more so because they have that information. So we've given them, um, again, it is the average price. So it is not, we try to come up with the median pricing. That pricing can be altered. Um, it can be altered on a calendar basis, but it is something that, um, We've tried to be able to grow the amount of information that we can share with the consumer so that they're fully informed about how much they have before they even walk in the door and then what amount they should be getting back. And if they have questions, we have a member care center. We put a lot of effort and energy into educating consumers about how to use this insurance because, again, it is very different. Um, But because we don't have a network, they have their choice of where to go. So uh, I noticed that your title is Vice President of Government Affairs. So tell yeah. me what, um, how, how, uh, how does the government look? And we're talking largely the uh, state of Ohio right now, I'm assuming. Mm-hmm. But tell us how this is looked upon, uh, you know, by the government. Sure. So um, within the state of Ohio, we have been in a, um, I would say, a pretty regular communication with the Ohio Department of Insurance, and they have been extremely supportive of our efforts. I think they also see a value in giving Ohioans a new option or a new choice in care. Um, We've spent 
over two years, really getting to know them. They have asked every single question um, about how our how our insurance plan works. But I work on on both state and federal. As you can imagine, healthcare is an is a highly regulated industry, yeah. as you and I know all your listeners know too. Um, but I am in the Washington D.C. area, and so I started consulting for the company a few years ago, and then just last year came um, in house. So I only focus on Sidecar Health now. And and what what do you think is going to be the national impact of this from the federal government standpoint? Do you think this is a model that might translate into uh, uh, some governmental programs too? Yeah, so we're very young, right? And change is hard. And so change takes time. But thus far, what we've seen is people are really excited about, about two things. So one, transparency. Transparency is a huge topic, whether you're, doesn't matter which party, Republican, Democrat, there are transparency conversations happening all across America and various state legislatures, as well as in Washington, D.C., about how to give consumers transparency so that they know exactly what they're getting. Um, but then it also, I'd say the sidecar health plan is very different because it actually changes consumer behavior. Yeah. And if you think about most debates in healthcare, it's typically about cost yeah. or access. Access is not an issue with us because we cover every single thing you can do in the healthcare system, but it's really that cost factor that has right. been extremely hard to change in any state or federal legislation. There's obviously maxes and, and minimums that can be put and various price controls, but there really isn't anything that has driven change that has been consumer-based. So this can be that. And as we grow and expand and, and hopefully prove the model in the state of Ohio, we're very hopeful that there can be other changes to, to federal legislation that would um that would not inhibit what we're doing now, which which right now federal law recognizes non-network plans. Well, and I think the what's going to be interesting is to see the impact on utilization uh, also here. You know, now that the, there's a disincentive for patients to overuse the system uh, because it would directly impact the, you know, how much money is available for those services that are quite vital. Yes. Um, Absolutely. And, you know, typically we like to sort of joke inside the company that usually with with most insurance plans, your first question is, is that in network? Yeah. And the first question really should be, well, how much does that cost? Yeah. That's what we say in everything else in our life, except for healthcare. Right. Well said. Um, so let's shift to the impact on the surgery centers. In other words, what, what's in it for us on the ASC side? And yeah. uh, I think, uh, so let's just start with, you know, what is the benefit to the uh, surgery center? You already talked about uh, this is a cash pay. I mean, that's what I, I find exciting. Uh, no invoicing, you yeah. know, unless there's some additional charges afterwards, You, the surgery center basically collects the money on the day of surgery, correct? Correct, correct. And so what other benefits just speak to uh, what do you, you know, when you're, when you're mark, I mean, do you actually market to ASCs? I mean, I saw you at the conference, obviously. So you were attempting to do that, but we what, do not what, directly market yeah. to ASCs. Um, that said, we certainly, we have a provider team and that talks to a number of different providers in Ohio. We also sometimes have providers that that will call the company and say, hey, I heard about you. I'd love to give yeah. you my cash pay pricing for my practice. Perfect. Um, and so that 
that has been that has been a really great resource because again, there's a lot of different ASCs and other providers in the state. And so we are trying to gather as much as we can. But whenever folks call, we're always really happy to, to have that data. But there is a certain level of excitement at getting paid at the point of care yeah. as well as the lack of claims administration. So as soon as that card is swiped and it doesn't have to be our visa card, it can be a, a private credit card, and then we will reimburse the patient. But as soon as that card is swiped, the provider's interaction with the patient is complete. And that's just on the patient to upload or to take a screenshot of that receipt. And then the adjudication happens on the the sidecar health end. So the provider's interaction is complete. They're finished um, and they get paid on the spot, which obviously, as you know, with many other plans, reimbursement or chasing reimbursements yeah. can be hard and time consuming, but also really labor intensive and cost any practice a lot of money. That has been eliminated with the sidecar health model. Yeah, so that that's one thing that I think we need to make our listeners understand um, is yes. that, yes, you're probably going to get paid less than what you would uh, in an in-network system. But you've all automatic. I mean, that's not to be sure, but um, but but you definitely uh, will have uh, less costs associated with collecting that money because you won't be um, sending a claim out. You're not going to have the risk of the claim being denied. Um, you know, all of this comes down to the to the the patient. The patient's got the responsibility for this. So that's that I think Correct. is extremely exciting. And there is a, a price associated with that. I mean, this is the whole goal you have here is to bring down the total cost. Uh, to the healthcare system. And one of the big costs that we have is the amount of time that we spend and money that we spend on adjudicating these claims and trying to collect. Absolutely. And it's important to note, probably we don't have formularies. We don't have prior authorization. Um, You emphasize that it, it could be less. It may be, but again, we are not ever choosing the rates, the provider gets to choose what they want to charge. And so this really, again, our members are incentivized to be able to shop for the most cost-effective services, but we really want that relationship between the patient and the provider to be maintained. Yeah. And so let's talk about that for a second, because one of the the challenges that we always have in the AAC industry is determining what our pricing is. Uh, In the past, that self-pay price or the charge, shall we say, that we have for the service has not, we've not spent a lot of time because it's not terribly relevant to the vast majority of insurance companies. And of course the, uh, you know, Medicare and Medicaid systems, uh, we set a charge, just make sure that that charge is higher than whatever we would ever, uh, collect. And, uh, and that becomes that part of your charge master. This, and is also part of that transparency movement that we definitely have makes it incumbent upon us to start looking at our pricing to make sure it's competitive in the marketplace um, and constantly being on, you know, we might, we might only change our, our, uh, our charge master once every couple of years. And now what we're saying is you need, you need to stay on top of this just so that you know what the marketplace is. You're going to have to, they're going to have to spend some money in order to find out what the competitive rates are out there. I think that's right. Um, But again, much like with any service, whether you're going to, Target or Walmart or Best Buy or Home Depot, there's always going to be price comparison and um, encouraging people to shop. And so we're just trying to incentivize patients to be able to make those choices. But we also, you know, we're always happy to talk to any provider that um, 
that perhaps is not sure about whether or not they're charging proper rates. And again, that's up to you as the provider. Um, But we do have a few that might call and say like, hey, here's the pricing. Is this competitive? I I, I really want to have more sidecar health customers because it's an easier transaction for me. So, you know, what can we do to work together? And we're always happy to do that. So you just answer one of the questions there is what, you know, how, how do you relate with uh, the, uh, the uh, providers? And, and obviously you can provide them some valuable information about how they can be competitive rate wise, uh, you know, with other organizations in that area. We can try our best. Yes. I mean, yeah. we don't, we're not, we haven't probably gathered every single piece of data, but right. um, we can certainly give them information about whether or not they're a low cost provider or yeah. a high cost provider. Um, and some providers have said, look, we're high cost in some for some services and in other services, we're more middle range. And again, that's fine because we're right. letting the consumer choose. We're, we're a financial institution first and foremost, right? We're trying to give the consumer the insurance that they need so that they feel covered and can go wherever they want. Um, but again, it, it really is up to the patient to decide what works best for them. And again, uh, one point, and again, this is really speaking, not so much to, to you, Emily, but to our yeah. our listeners, that uh, um, you know, often we we talk about our uh, our challenges to bring the doctors to our surgery center. We still have to do that, but now we have the second element where we have to reach out to the patients so that they can uh, recognize us as a low cost, high quality provider or moderate cost, high quality provider, however you decide to position yourself in the marketplace. And that's something that's going to be a little bit of a a challenge for many surgery centers who have never really had to deal directly with the patient, except when the patient actually comes in for the care. Here, you're going to have to develop a relationship and and make sure that uh, patients even know you exist out there before they, uh, they come. Absolutely. I think that's right. I think, you know, when you remove some of the more traditional obstacles, perhaps they'll, they'll find more time to be able yeah, to do that absolutely. and focus a bit more on it. Um, but again, as, as I'm sure many of your listeners can appreciate, there is so much time spent on administration yeah. and paperwork. And, and we really do try to remove a lot of that complication from the system and try to, again, make it just more of a common sense process. Absolutely. Um, so how, what would you uh, propose um, surgery centers do if they are interested in in getting more patients, uh, you know, that have sidecar? I would say if they're interested in getting more patients and they would like to share their cash pay pricing with us, we're more than happy. You can go visit our website, sidecarhealth.com. We're more than happy to, to talk with you. We check it on a regular basis. So we'll be very responsive. Um, but we're also, you know, happy to also consider whether or not there's other partnerships that can be had, but I would encourage them just to check out our website. And if they they think we might be a good fit, then we can start that conversation. This has been great, Emily. I really appreciate your time. Uh, this is, uh, oh, I think, you. something that's uh, a wave of the future. I I love the uh, the model you've developed, and I think you know there's an this is a win win win, right? Win for uh, uh, you know the healthcare system, win for the patient, win for the uh, surgery center. So yes. uh, let's let's Thank hope you. that uh, it continues to grow. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank Thanks you. For time. Next, we met with Sarah Paul, who is the chair of the uh, board of directors of the Ohio State Association. And she talked about the association and its recent activities. Let's listen. 
So I'm here at the Ohio State Association meeting in Columbus, Ohio, uh, in September of 2022. And I'm here with Sarah Paul, who is the chair of the of the state association here. Sarah, thank you so much for inviting us to attend your conference and to record a podcast here. And I didn't I had an opportunity to do uh, two speeches here too. So you you've always are great hosts here. I've been here for more years than I can remember at this point. But and congratulations or condolences for being the chair. Yeah, every year we interview the chair, and it's uh, you know it's it's always a fascinating job. So tell me how your first year has been with uh, as a chair. It's been a, a good year, a little bit of a learning experience. I was on the education committee too, so setting up the conference, and yeah. and I was on the committee last year. So just that hesitation over how big do we make it? Do we yeah. run two tracks? Do you do one day? Do you do two days? With COVID, is it you know who knew what was going to happen because we planned this back at the first of the year, you have to to reserve the room and and get everything lined up. But it's gone really well, had great attendance, more um, exhibitors than we had last year, more attendees. Right. So it's it's been really good. It's a nice layout, too, as a vendor. Speaking as a vendor, Mm -hmm. it's a nice layout because – all of the attendees are kind of forced to go past our. Right. Booth. They don't always stop, but uh, they do. They are kind of forced to go past the booth, and probably one of the better layouts. I we we go to a lot of state associations. Mm-hmm. We hate it when we're put in a separate room, and you know, and people have to try to find us. But uh, here, you did a great job. Food, great food too, by the way. Yeah, the Hilton always does a, a nice job for us, and has been very accommodating. We're very helpful during those COVID uh, year when things were very unsure and yeah. shut down. Well, and of course, as we're sitting here today, uh, ORX announced that it was canceling, not because of COVID, but because they happen to be located in Florida where the storm is about to, to strike. So those are the dangers that you have in setting yes. these things up. The best laid plans could could uh, come back to, to bite you. So uh, tell me over the past year, what have been some of the major challenges of the state association here in Ohio? There haven't been a lot of legislative things come up. There's been a few um state things. Mm-hmm. We work with our lobbyist and she keeps us informed and and we've had some conversations with legislators about some of the questionable or concerning things. Yeah. Um, it's really just been trying to get all the everyone back engaged, everyone yeah. to feel that things are going back to normal and we can, you know, be a member of the association because there is life after COVID and, right. and the ASC is going to survive and and getting people out to come to conferences and networking just yeah. that's been the biggest challenge of guessing what what everyone's going to do. Right. And of course, during COVID, you you went virtual like everybody else did. But, uh, you know, people have kind of gotten used to that. You know, we're finding that, Chris, you know, the podcast does a, a number mm-hmm. of virtual conferences. We expected it to all die down afterwards and actually the opposite is happening you know we're getting more occasion maybe not as much engagement as we had during the actual lockdown but people are recognizing or are challenged right now to get out you they know. are yeah it's um short staffed right i know i typically bring you know four or five yeah. people with me and i brought one yesterday for infection prevention and i'm the only one here today yeah. just because you can't give up the people. You can't give up the people. And I know there's a lot of, yeah. of um, people here that had the same issue. It's been a challenge. And the virtual works well, I think, for just a, a webinar or a yeah. seminar. But I really don't like the whole day kind of thing, yeah. even if you break it up. Because as administrators, unless you leave the building anyway, yeah. 
it's very hard to devote the time. Somebody's always knocking at your door, opening your door, you're getting the phone call. Yeah. Something happens and you got to, you know, leave. Yeah. And they don't respect that time that you're, no, or, or sometimes right. they don't even know you're doing it. So. Right. So anyway, I, th- and, and, I prefer in person. Yeah. Of course, yeah. our whole life is a, is a crisis as an administrator. Yes. That's our job. Yeah. Um, as you look at the uh, the state association last year, what have been some of the major? I mean, you talked about legislative not mm-hmm. being a big deal, which is actually it's usually good. a good thing for us. What have been some of the major challenges you've had over the last year with the Department of Health, working with uh, from the regulatory standpoint in the state? Everything is revolved really still around COVID. Yeah, and making sure you know, do we have to be vaccinated? Do you not? What? Mm-hmm. And now, of course, getting the cards and reporting to the NHSN and. Yeah. You know, does that mean boosters? Does that mean every new vendor that comes in, you got to track them down for the card? Right. Um, so that's been the the major challenges, um, and just the still reporting on COVID of yeah. this person's exposed. What do we have to do? I think that's still causing probably most of us most angst and and yeah. trying to figure out what do we still have to do and and what can we let go and. Where are you right now, or where is the Department of Health right now with getting back on schedule for the surveys? Do you have any feel for that? I don't. I have heard that they've been coming out. They have been out. um, And I heard they are looking very intently at what you, your COVID policies, what you did. Do you have all the documentation for your vaccines and and all that? So that's a very good thing for our listeners to hear, especially if you're, well, Mm -hmm. actually any state, doesn't matter where you are, but for Ohio in particular, don't forget that as far as the regulators are concerned, COVID is still uh, something they're keeping a very close eye on, not only what they're doing right now, but what you did in the past. Because that that points to what your history was, your ability to handle this, because we all know this is probably not the last last, uh, pandemic we're going to see. Probably not. We can hope. Yeah. Uh, as you engage with the um, surgery centers in the state, and, you know, of course, you've been running around. I've seen you everywhere uh, in the last couple of days here. What have been some of the uh, – what do you think is some of the biggest issues that they are facing right now, and how does the state association help them through that? I think, you know, outside of staffing. Yeah. Um, which is by far which the Which is by issue. far the major yeah. issue. Right. I think it's probably, if you're not a joint venture or a hospital owned, if you're an independent, it's trying to find those independent physicians yeah. that can come. Uh, there are so many employed physicians and more being employed every day. Every day. Yeah. And the new ones coming out a lot of times don't know any different. Mm-hmm. So they, they assume that's what they need to do is come out, be yeah. employed and and to some extent it's good for them and that it that comes out and they've yeah. got somebody to to guide them and they give them a salary and and you're not worrying about yeah. staffing and everything but um yeah it's not like uh, we're not going to date ourselves but let's say that back in the time that we started in this industry there was a lot more of an entrepreneurial spirit out yes. there and and some of the recent uh, studies uh, surveys have kind of pointed to that that a lot of the individuals even coming out of school right now are 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 not even going out on their own or not even going with some of the major groups. They're going with hospital systems, which is going to definitely be a challenge for us here. Yeah. As you uh, look into the future, as you look into the next year, what now is your term two years? Yes. Yes. As a chair, I thought it was that way. Um, As you look into what are some of the major initiatives you hope to see in uh, the state association? Obviously, you know, keeping up with what, what you've been doing here, but is there anything major coming up? Um, We, uh, We've sent out a, there is a salary survey that we're yes. doing that's open for another week, I think. Right. And that's very helpful, especially in today's yeah. times. 
all members, if you participate, you get a copy. Right. So you know what's um, what other people are paying, what um, benefits are being offered. It kind of helps you to be competitive in the market right. and see, am I good or am I way high or yeah. do I need to up my game? Um, we ha- always have a meeting every year with the Bureau of Workers' Comp to go over fee mm. schedules and workers' comp in Ohio follows Medicare rates. Okay. Um, is so, it at the same rate as Medicare or is there a, is there a, a plus on it? It's the same rate except yeah. for we have been able to negotiate a few things and they have looked and said, oh, well, gee, our workers really aren't Medicare workers. Yeah. So yeah. they've added some some additional codes yeah. that make sense for their age worker. Right. So we always meet with them. That's coming up. Um, to discuss, you know, maybe what procedures can we do and yeah. um, getting joints. They were put joints on their list here long before Medicare started paying for them. So well, that was Which they had to. Not, right. Uh, the Medicare population didn't actually reflect the entire uh, universe yes. of things that we could do. So, Sarah, tell me about your uh, your board. I know you've got a very dynamic and active board here and, uh, you know, how, how supportive they've been for you over the last year. I have a great board, um, a lot of, uh, shall we pay, say, repeat offenders that, yeah, yeah. that stay on the board. They do their terms. They'll cycle off for a year or two and then come back yeah. on. So um, a deep bench as far as knowing the history of the association and um, what we need to do, multi-specialty. So we yeah. have a wide range of you know, single specialty centers, hospital mm-hmm. centers, joint ventures, independents, which gives us all of that, the view, different viewpoints. Right. And um, they've just been very supportive and always step up for a committee or anything else. And the benefit of the association is the networking is so mm-hmm. important, which is one of the things you don't get when you do those virtual. That's exactly right. You know, yeah. that networking is so much more important at yeah. times than the, even the content. Um, I know I've made think- some good connections here and yeah. and you can talk about hey th- this was happening oh you had that too what what did you learn or, yeah. or what can we do or you know i was talking last night and somebody's looking at doing total joints it's like well come on down you know come yeah, see what we what do you- and and that's you don't get that with the virtual but our association meetings are are so good at at that networking and yeah. um, somebody last night said these conferences are always like a reunion yeah. because you see really. those people every year. and Sometimes only up. once a year. Once a year. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, yeah. but at least, you know, you make those connections. Well, and you're referring to it last night. Let's point out that the big event really is the social event uh, on the, uh, at the end of the first night. And uh, what was the name of the place that we were? Was it Cohatch? Cohatch, right. Yes. Which is a, like a, for people who, mainly work from home. You can rent space there, be a member, so you can go in there. They have fax machines, copiers, you know, printers and that kind of thing. And if you work from home all the time, sometimes it's nice to have another another body around. Party space that they they use. And then we had like a taste of different uh, restaurants in town. Right. It was very nice. I, I always say, I think more business gets done during that event, especially after that first bit of alcohol than uh, than the rest of the conference not to not yeah. mean not to not to say the rest of the conference isn't important but indeed the deals and the uh right. and that communication that interaction mm-hmm. occurs during that it, it really does gives yeah. you a good chance and chance to talk to the exhibitors out from in front of their table and and 
get a little deeper into what they right. have and what it could do for you. And right. Be more personal rather yes. than the generic yes. answers they give you. Right. Uh, we would be remiss in not pointing out the um, importance of uh, not only your salary survey, but also your benchmarking uh, program, which is uh, extremely well done. You know, we, we work with it extensively with our clients in Ohio. And, uh, and what's really nice about your program is the ability to uh, match organizations up based upon, you know, uh, their location as well as the type of facility they are. So uh, that is a huge benefit to, uh, to ASCs here in Ohio. And I know that that's continued through the pandemic. Of course, the information that you, that you have out there is great too. So Yeah, it, it takes a lot of work. And, yeah. and um, Heidi and Nikki and, and mm-hmm. her team do a great job. And we wouldn't be half the organization we are without their, their help and, and their work. And again, I want to thank all of you for the hospitality. Uh, you give us always the nicest uh, the studio space. Uh, usually we're like in this tiny little space or, you know, we're recording off of a cell phone <laughs> uh, doing this. So thank you so much for that and, and your hospitality. Well, I appreciate you coming. And I always, your sessions are always well attended and, and always informative. So thank you for that, too. Thank you so much. And last, we spoke with Heidi Moss of Member Services of the Ohio Association. So this was a a great opportunity for us to uh, find out more about what services the association has and and some of the the, uh, upcoming events, uh, especially on the uh, conference side, as well as things that have uh, been going on over the last year. Mm -hmm. She was very, very busy, so I'm glad we were able to talk to her. We just kept seeing her running back and forth. She's... She Very is, busy during these conferences. Absolutely. She does a I, lot of we, work. We had to tie her up, I think, in order to get this interview. <laughs> but uh, thank you very much, uh, Heidi, for taking the time. So I'm here at the Ohio uh, State Association's uh, annual meeting uh, in Columbus, Ohio. It's September of 2022, and I'm here with Heidi Moss. Heidi, what an incredible conference. I know you have, you've you been working on this for a long time, and you did a great job. I just, I'm so happy. And, of course, I'm grabbing you in between conferences right now. You've been right. so busy the whole time. Exactly. That's the thing. First, John, um, I want to say thank you um, for the compliments. We appreciate it. I have a whole team supporting me. That's mm-hmm. fantastic. We work so hard. I have great volunteers from the association that yeah. partner with me to pick the right speakers to get everything top notch so that our members are excited to come and get the most value that they can. And, uh, you know, we're just happy to have everyone here. September's our thing. Yeah, you know, yeah. we're a September group. I know a lot of other associations yeah. are too. So, you know, that's something we'll try to be more aware of. Yeah, we definitely have to talk about that. I'm hopping in yeah. a car, eight hour drive to New <laughs> I York. Know, right now. I know, I know it's tricky. So we appreciate the dedication of all the folks that are willing to do that for us. And yeah, uh, yeah I mean, it's the end of September now and we will start rolling again in January or February Absolutely. to start talking about next year's event. So it's busy times. Well, and I did want to point out something. I had two speeches. Thank you very much for the opportunity to speak for the group. But what was interesting is the interaction. I had a similar situation in California. Some state associations you go to, you don't have any questions. Uh, California was great this year, and your group was great this year because as I'm talking to people, as a matter of fact, there were a couple moments when people caught me off guard. And uh, <laughs> and I actually love that because, it you know, it, it first of all, it makes it much more relevant to them. So you got an active audience, and they're very much interactive. So uh, talk a little bit about this conference. Um, you know, uh, how well is the organization doing with attendance? I know your attendance was pretty good. Attendance was good. I mean, we're probably not reaching pre-COVID numbers, but mm-hmm. over 100, over 110. Yep. So I'll take that. Any day you hit three-day digits these That's days, right. I will take it. Thrilled. I've got nothing but great feedback from on the vendor side about yeah. the engagement. Yeah. 
of our members to kind of jump off of what you said, John. This is a great engaged group Mm -hmm. who make the most of these opportunities and make the most of their association membership as well. So I'm I'm so glad to hear they're chatting with you. They're asking questions. They're doing a great job in sessions, getting the most out of it. And that also tells me we're doing the best we can to give them what they need. But yeah, very happy with the success of this year's conference. We will actually be back at the same location. Next year, September 19th and 20th. So folks can start planning now. Mark your calendars. (laughs) Yes. And um, it's just pretty much one of the highlights, probably one of two highlights that we have of the year. And um, Mm -hmm. maybe the the biggest highlight of the year, because then I think you plan, um, John, for us to talk a little bit about our benchmarking. And that's the other big highlight for our members. And we can get to that whenever you're ready. Yeah. Actually, once you talk about benchmarking, when uh, we interviewed Sarah, the the president, the uh, chair, uh, we talked about it, but we really didn't go into depth and, and being, you know, we have clients in Ohio. Of course, we all use your benchmarking. Mm -hmm. And I know it's very similar to the, uh, to the California association's benchmarking tool too. It it actually, we, yeah, we, um, we share that software, California right. and Ohio. Ohio created it. Um, yeah, California came in to share in that service with us. And it is free to our members. Right. We do it, run it quarterly. And, you know, I announce, hey, your benchmarking windows are open. Go mm-hmm. in and report. You have your deadline. And then the day after that deadline, all the reports are there for you yeah. to print in a variety of ways that you can use them in your board meetings for your centers. Mm-hmm. It is the Probably while the conference is kind of the highlight, exciting event of mm-hmm. the year, the benchmarking system is probably then the most valuable, consistent service that the people get the most out of and love the most and use the most um, just quarter after quarter, year yeah. after year. And we even made a few slight updates, I think, two years ago. So it's not a static thing that we don't go back and touch. We do the best we can right. to keep up with trends so that the it's something the members can get the most out of yeah. continually year after year. And speaking as a user of your of that uh, benchmarking in our clients in Ohio, it's very user friendly. There are there's good statistics that we can actually work off of. And probably one of the most important things is that it drills down to regions and to specialties right, or size right. organization, which is very helpful. Yes, uh, especially when you know you you, you you have like New York, you got the rural organizations and you've got the uh, the it's urban. Really different isn't it and you have to you have to look at all of that to know how you're doing and and how you're measuring up with your competitors so tell me what's going on uh with the rest of the year well actually we probably won't speak again until september of 2023 (laughs) so what's going to happen between now and september well you know me john you'll hear from me before then because (laughs) we'll be looking for speakers absolutely but um through I know you mentioned Sarah. I believe Sarah mentioned this as well. But through October 7th, we're collecting salary survey information. And uh, that will be going. That's that's another project that we do that our members really seem to Mm -hmm. appreciate. And they use it for a variety of reasons. They want to see how they're measuring up to other centers in the state and in their Mm -hmm. regions. But sometimes I'll have an employee call and they'll get one because they're getting ready for a review and they want to know what they need to know or an administrator. They're looking at their budget and they want to know how to prepare. So it's another good tool we use. It's live out there for our members until October 7th. Mm-hmm. And they, um, if they happen to be listening to this podcast and they haven't filled it out, they can do email. Yeah, do it quick. And if you need help accessing it, they can reach out to Heidi. I am Heidi, even though my email is sam at OAAS. 
www.thepodcastsc.net. But uh, you can uh, email me there and I can get you that information because we'd love to have you participate. And if you do, you get a free copy of that document. Turned around in about a, a week, uh, Friday the 7th, we will close the survey. And by yeah. the next Friday, you should have your data. And if you're not a member, you can purchase it for Exactly. Price, right? You can look for that announcement on our website at www.oaasc.net for the association website. And you can look for an announcement there that it's available and reach mm-hmm. out to me and I'm happy to sell copies. And we'll put references to uh, on our uh, show notes here for all of, all of that information. Um, so while you're on the subject, uh, membership, or while we're on the subject sure. of membership, talk a little bit about membership, the value of membership, uh, how you access membership, which of course is at your website. But uh, Exactly. And we do have a special members-only aspect of the website, as so many associations do. And I think one of the best parts of that website is a Q&A board mm-hmm. that we have. And a member can submit a question. Obviously, it does have to go through a, you know staff approval before mm-hmm. it's posted. But I will post that in the members only question. I will, or section, and, uh, I will send a notice out then to our entire membership that your peers need to hear from you. Yeah. We have a question and our folks are great about interacting with that and helping their fellow ASC professionals. And, um, and if there is a case where maybe it's an, odd question or nobody comments, then I personally take that back to the board and Mm -hmm. ask specifically, if you saw this and you have comments and you haven't had a chance to do it yet, if you could provide some feedback for me and our members, that would be great. And I think that networking and problem solving aspect of it is probably, along with the benchmarking, one of the greatest things about the membership. And we were laughing. We had a board meeting last night as part of the conference. And we were laughing about um, how people at first think if you're going to serve on a board of an association, it's an intimidating thing. Mm -hmm. You can't be on the board. The board's for serious, intense people. You get on the board. First of all, as an association staff member, it's my job to make that the easiest process for you as I can. And what happens is once you get in there and you see the information that's available to you and what you can have to gain by being a bigger part of your association, the more valuable it comes and the more you want to stay in that circle. So it's, it's, if you're not super active in your association, you really need to think about it because it's the best way to get information and help with other people that are doing what you're doing. And some may be struggling Mm -hmm. along with you. Some may have solved a problem you already have and want to help you. And your association is that conduit to help that information flow back and forth. Now, you have one other advantage. Of course, the the state associations work closely with the ASC association. So you got an ace in the hole here, don't you? I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so are you referring to uh, Kara? Kara yeah, Kara uh, happens to maybe work for ASCO, <laughs> which she does. And so many of you know her and love her, but she's yep. right here in Columbus. Columbus yeah. And that's such a great resource to have. And I just, that makes me feel like I have that much more of a relationship with her. Yeah. And it's so great to be able to have her here with us anytime we need her, mm-hmm. which is, she comes pretty much every year because it's just a, Quick drive. Just around the corner. Yep, yep, up 315. So, yep, she's here today. She's speaking right now, yes, actually. She is. Doing a great yeah. job. So, we love having Kara so close to town. It, it just yeah. makes us feel that much more connected to what's going on nationally. Uh, so, are there any more conferences between here and September of next year? You know, John, we, we had a coding clinic 
last actually this year time flies yeah yeah. and even when you don't realize it has it's something that used to happen and it fell off post-covid we thought we'd bring it back in-person attendance wasn't fantastic so we are um flirting with whether we should try to do something virtual like that Uh again but if we do that that'll be in the spring we had a one-hour session on active shooter response Mm -hmm. uh yesterday and that got great great reviews and feedback so we're Considering we chatted briefly at our board meeting, possibly doing an extended, the full three or four hour part one to your, what is craze for those of you that don't know, civilian response to an active shooter situation or shooter event. Uh, We might provide that for our members because some things have changed recently over the past four or five years. It's been that long since we've provided that training for our folks. Mm -hmm. So that might be something that we bring back in the spring. Um, And we have a legal webinar coming up for our members and conference attendees that we've paired with a firm that's really great here in town. And that will be free for our members and also free for conference attendees. Wonderful. So that's coming up in November. And and that just demonstrates how you uh, you don't have a rigid uh, approach to this. If, you know, right. As needs come up. You, yeah, you as needs that. come up, as we get feedback, uh, as we, we hear from people, or if we happen to be getting the same kind of question frequently, yeah. then we have to look at that and think, is this something that would be a value to the membership as a whole? And if we can provide that, we are absolutely here to do that. And how do you become a member? If you would like to become a member, you can join online at www.oaasc.net. There's a join tab. Mm-hmm. You can do it online or you can print off a form and you can email it or fax it into us. It is a secure fax server with a password, so you don't have yeah. to worry about that. Um, if you want to speak further, by all means, you can use the phone number on the website and give us a call. You'll mm-hmm. talk to Heidi. That's me. And I'd love to chat with you about membership as well. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Again, thanks for inviting us out here. It's been a great opportunity. Thanks to you, John. It's been a great experience, and it's been great chatting with you this morning. Thank you. This episode of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey is sponsored by Surgical Information Systems, Trivalence, and Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies. Surgical Information Systems provides cutting-edge information solutions for surgery providers, Trivalence offers a comprehensive next-generation ASC solution that optimizes payment and supply chain performance, enabling actionable insights. Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies is the nation's leading regulatory and accreditation compliance resource for ambulatory surgery centers. For more information about our sponsors, visit our website at ASCPodcast.com. This podcast is an educational and operational tool and is not intended to be a comprehensive resource for all rules, regulations, and standards that an ambulatory surgery center must meet. The advice provided should not be considered as, nor does it constitute, legal advice or opinion. When reviewing specific situations involving legal and regulatory issues, attorneys and other professionals should be consulted. This has been a production of Eden Group Development. All rights are reserved. If you are interested in advertising or sponsoring the ASC Podcast with John Gailey, please email us at info at ASCPodcast.com. We would love to hear your questions and comments. Please email us at comments at ASCPodcast.com.